Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am well, although I don't know if it's just me, but I'm having problems with these capture things online. So you go to maybe order something or fill in a form and then you have to click that you are actually a human being. And I believe I am. And then you have to do this capture box. And so they have, I don't know, maybe nine or 12 different pictures. And it says, right, click the boxes with a lamppost in or a palm tree. And I keep failing these tests. I don't know how it is. I'm looking at them saying, there is not another palm tree that I haven't taken account of. There, every palm tree I have identified. And uh, and yet I'm still failing it. It says, no, well, let's do another one. No, let's not do another one. If you were the person that invented these capture tests, please, please go please alter it, please do something because it's driving me potty. Maybe it's just me, who knows? But anyway, we've got so many fabulous books to talk to you about this week. There really are some great ones. I've got six absolute crackers, so I'm really excited about that. We've got a fabulous author interview, that's very exciting. And we've got a listener's question even more excitement. So Simon has contacted me. Thank you for your lovely podcast. That's very kind, Simon. Thank you. Have you got any end of year specials planned? Simon, it is very fortunate you have asked that question. If you'd asked me three weeks ago, I might have said, oh, not thought about that. But uh, yes, over the last sort of week or two, I have been um, putting plans in place. Great plans. So we have coming up a Christmas special where I will look at my book recommendations uh, for you with uh, books that these are books that have a Christmas theme. So, yes, you may very well, very well might want to um, buy those books as a Christmas present. But it's also books that you might want to read to get Christmassy. I'll be honest with you. My research is proving a little hard at the moment because there don't seem to be that many good Christmas books out there. The ones from Time's Gone Part... Oh, I really can't. I'm going to have a sip of coffee. Hang on. One sip of coffee. There we go. Now, now I can string words together. So 
there used to be going back some really good Christmas books, obviously the traditional ones. Um, but I am struggling. I am scraping the bottom of a very uh, unscrapable barrel to locate some good books for you. Um, but I will continue that. And uh, next week, hopefully, I will be talking you through my Christmas book recommendations. Uh, different ages, different types of categories. Um, so hopefully something you may not have heard about and maybe something that you'd be interested in reading or getting for a family member or friend. So that's going to be a Christmas special. And then the week after that, uh, which will be just sort of the run up to the end of the year. My goodness. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to look back. I'm going to don my satin hat and uh, look back in time. Why did I say satin hat? You see, I've got a vision of someone over a crystal ball with a pink satin hat on. Mm, let's let's not go there. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to be looking back at my favourite books that I've read this year. Only ones that I have actually read this year for the first time. And uh, got a really good author interview coming up for that as well. So, yes, Simon, you are absolutely correct. There will be some end of year. Well, I think there'll be specials. They'll be different to the normal, which will make them special. Whether they're, whether they're special enough to listen to, I don't know. But there we go. So, yes, that's exciting. Anyway, Philippa, enough. Let's tell you about all the books I'm going to be reviewing today. So we've got The Neighbour by Fiona Cummins, V2 by Robert Harris, Playing Nice by J.P. Delany, 33 Women, Isabel Ashdown, As Good As It Gets by Ramesh Ranganathan and A Symphony of Echoes by Jodie Taylor. Quite a few books, wouldn't you say? Um, and the first one, of course, is The Neighbour. And really lucky that Fiona is going to join us today to talk to us about this book. Um, and uh, I got I really enjoyed it. Let me read you the blurb first of all. So, you, you know, you know where we, where we are. A new home, a new start. It's all the Lockwoods want. And on the avenue, a leafy street in an Essex town near the sea, it seems possible. But what if what they want isn't what they get. On their moving in day, they arrive to a media frenzy. A serial killer has struck in the woods behind the avenue. The police are investigating and the neighbours quite clearly have secrets. With their dream quickly turning into a nightmare, the Lockwoods are watching everyone. But who's watching them? I really enjoyed this book. I came across Fiona through... Um, the two crime writers and microphone podcast that Steve Kavanagh and Luca Vesti do. Um, she did a really brilliant interview with them, thoroughly uh, enjoyable. Um, and she also took part in their Locked In Festival earlier this year. So I thought, right, this she makes a lot of sense. I like this person. I'm going to order her book. And then you just hope that when you admire what they're saying, um, uh, and think they're sort of funny and very on point. Um, you hope that you like their book and it's, uh, I shouldn't ha even have to say it, but yes, I absolutely did. Uh, I thought it was a great crime book, but it's a, it's different and that's what I like about it as well. So it's not just, oh, body found, let's find the clues. And I'm not saying I don't like those. I love those as well. But a lot of them are body found, find the clues, hit, hit, twists and turns, the end. And that's a great book, don't get me wrong. Um, 
But this is much more sinister, I would say. Now, you know me, I scare easily. If it was by Stephen King, there's no way I'd even be able to probably read the title page. That's how easily scared I get. And it's not a Stephen King. And for me, I, I was fine reading it, but it it I think if it had been much more sinister, I would have had... Um, problems. So what I'm waffling but trying to say is that if you're looking for more from your crime book or if uh, you're a reader and you've just felt that some crime books are a bit too, not easy, but just um, too palatable almost in terms of what goes on and the feelings it makes you think and how worried you are for the characters, then I think this could be one that you really enjoy. Uh, very creepy. Um kept me guessing. Uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Definitely going to be watching Fiona and looking at her further books as well. So that's The Neighbour by Fiona Cummins. I think we better talk to her, don't you? So Fiona, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be asked. Also, it helps. We're currently where I am in Essex. We're in a, you know, a second lockdown. Um, and yeah, I mean, frankly, uh, anything that passes the time is very welcome to me. Yes, I was saying for Christmas lunch, I'm inviting the postman, the BPD <laughs> man and the Hermes man for lunch. <laughs> exactly. Because they are I mean, my the, nearest and dearest. Yeah, the delivery guys, the kind of, the Asda lorry man, I don't know. It's Yeah, yeah I mean, it's just... It's fine. I'm hoping that this it will only be four weeks, you know, as they've said, and that we can emerge just before Christmas. Let's hope so. Yes, absolutely. It's all going to be fine. And and uh, it certainly helped us learn about our community and our neighbours. And talking ah. of neighbours. Uh -huh. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Your book, The Neighbour, is just astonishing. I I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I was a bit scared. I do scare easily, but it was it was brilliant. I mean, it's it's no Miss Mar Miss Marple. Your ability to deliver cr acceptable creepiness, I thought it's just phenomenal. Was was that your intention? Thank you. I mean, I think um, anyone that's read my book, so The Neighbours, my third book, um, my first two books, um, Rattle and the Collector, they're both very creepy and um, what I was trying to do with this one I think was tone down the creepiness a little bit um, make it much more about what could actually be happen happening behind mm. closed doors because I think actually for most of us you know and it is it is a cliche but I guess cliches you know are there for a reason they're there because they're true um, is that you know we often have no idea what's going on around us you know we see people we know every single day you know I've just been out for a dog walk you have a, a nod hello and you know give them a wave but actually if you don't really know them you have no idea what's going on and that, that idea always fascinates me I think yeah uh, it's certainly the book has made me look again at my neighbours and think <laughs> no, I must be very nice to them I mean the <laughs> The, the plot is twisted and I mean that in a really good in a good way but how did you go about structuring that that plot oh well that's an interesting question and I it's really is one that is often debated frequently amongst um, my my friends in the crime writing community because you know we all have very different ways of working and you know I am what they call 
a pantser. So I don't plot oh. in detail at all. I have um, a kind of generally I have a beginning. I have a, a rough idea about the shape of the story and I often know how it's going to end. But I don't write anything down. And that was particularly complex with this book because I keep it all in my head. Um, and it's generally speaking, it's fine I write chronologically and I know where I'm going so I, I know what's happening but um, I think the, pro the the difficulty with this one particularly was every chapter is time stamped mm. so there is a date or if not a date there is a time of day and if something changes if you edit something or um, you know you decide to move something around that has an impact on every single other bit of the book and I swore after this book that I would never ever time stamp every chapter again <laughs> because it was a nightmare uh, trying to keep hold of everything like that but yeah I mean it was quite complex I mean I think I like books that have uh, nuance and that are twisty so not necessarily obvious I mean I think it you know it's a good thing if the reader does kind of you know sometimes puzzle out what's going to happen but not too early yeah. and I think the other thing is what I would hope to pull off what I really try and, and do with these things is you know so you might read it you might find read the end and think oh and then if you go back again and read it again for example you would find all of the clues seeded all the way through uh so I'm really careful I try and do that um, and sometimes I get to the end point and then I go back and see through a little more so um, you know it's I like my books to surprise um, but I wouldn't want someone to go well I didn't see that coming at all you know it, there's got to be a little bit of it already in there I think so but yeah I mean I do write books that I think are quite complex it is a headache I mean my one that I'm writing now is quite is quite complex and trying to keep it all in your head is is tricky but you know I can do it it's fine but I, I'm very envious of those that plot in great detail and then just write it it's certainly more unusual in the crime writing world to be a, a pantser from from the interviews I've done anyway do you find that you write therefore quite quickly because it's just sort of channeling through you I think almost the opposite to be honest um, I write quite slowly I'm a very considered writer um so generally speaking my drafts are really clean because I take quite a lot mm. of time over them um and so that has its positives and negatives I mean I know you know and I, I do jot down notes here and there just to remind myself about why I've done something and how I'm going to explain that later t later on how I sort of set something up and then how that's going to be resolved later in the book I do I do keep notes um in regards to that but no I mean I think because I know roughly what's happening I keep it in there and you know to be honest I get bored really easily and um, I think if I knew everything that was going to happen in the book it would just drive me mad I wouldn't want to write it um, and so I like the challenge and the excitement of coming to it afresh each time um, and yeah and kind of surprising myself in some ways too um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the way that I work. But having said that, it can be difficult because then, you know, you can spend ages and I'd be really careful about writing a section and then find that actually you don't need that section or you've written yourself down a blind alley and then you have to write yourself back out of that. And if you are quite a slow considered writer, then, you know, that's a lot of time and energy wasted, but it's part of the process. And, you know, I'm writing my fifth book now. And so I've become more experienced, I guess, in you know what works for me and what doesn't and because you're so sort of calculated about or methodical about each word that you write or or, or as you write um you're not just dumping text down to get to get to the end 
do you set yourself a, a daily limit on words or is it just I'm going I'm just going to see where this goes yeah, I think I, right. if I did that, I would be too depressed because I am I could I consider myself quite a slow writer compared to I mean, you know, really if you think about it, I'm not because I think my first book was published in two, 2017. Um and you know, obviously I had a little bit of time before that, but you know, I'm working on my fifth book. So I'm not it doesn't take me years and years to write books, but you know, compared to some I think I am quite a slow writer, but I never set myself a word count because I just genuinely I just try and write every day because I think that keeps you in the story and even if it is just even if you only write three sentences mm. you know you've taken the story on a little bit and I try and leave it a little bit open sometimes you know I, I deliberately wouldn't finish a chapter because so that when I go back to it I can get straight back into the story but you know even I've even been known to write well in fact I have I sometimes even write on Christmas day like late at night when everyone's gone to bed I'll just do my couple of sentences um just to keep the story in my head I think and that's mm. that's for me I mean it's you know I I like doing that um but I have I must admit I found it very difficult to write during lockdown I found myself very distracted by the news agenda um and just by the sheer kind of you know overwhelming sense of you know this global crisis that we're in I found mm. it quite difficult you know having the children at home um, everyone being at home um, and that's been a challenge you know it really has um, but you know just working through it and you know slow and steady is my mantra and uh, it's you know it's never done me wrong so far so I'm just kind of um, you know trying to do that really. Uh, but I mean clearly you're a very talented writer and that hasn't just come overnight you you were a journalist weren't you yeah I was right? and I think that has I mean I think that has really stood me in good stead because you know regardless of the type of pieces or the type of you know words that you're writing I've worked with them my whole life you know so I've been a I've been a journalist since my first I stepped out of university on the Friday and started you know my first job as a journalist on the Monday and I and I was a journalist for a long time um you know and you know when you work with words all day you know kind of day in day out that you become accomplished at you know shaping them into the way you want them to go I suppose and so you know writing in and of itself isn't a tricky thing for me but I think you know when sort of, you know you're not I don't know things happen big life events happen um you know that does for me it seems to have an impact on my ability to kind of write mm. um but it the journalist in me the the journalist in me knows that actually you have to sit down and show up and you have to do it regardless and so that is what keeps me going um but yeah I mean and, and also because I think you know having having been a journalist you know you're used to being edited you know so I'm not precious about my work I'm not you know if my editor says to me I don't think this really works or I think you need more here or, you know I'd never generally I'd never kind of complain about that because I'm used to it and and almost always it makes it better so that's one one aspect of it um and the other thing is I think you know the writing process itself aside I think when you've been a journalist I was a showbiz journalist for a long time but before that I was a news journalist um, and I covered a lot of major news events terrorist attacks rail crashes you know explosions all sorts of kind of dreadful things really um, child abductions that you become what you recognize and this is where newspapers for example and, and books are not so different after all is that when you write a news story you're looking for 
the emotion at the heart of that story even though it's you know it's happening in in real life you're looking for the emotion of that and it's the same for fiction really mm. that you know you're looking it's all about the character and, and and the emotion rather than exactly what's happening and that's something that I try and um, make sure that my books include as well but it strikes me that going through all of that and witnessing those awful things in a way it, it's giving you the armor that you can now write something um so uh, yes there's an awful crime and and there's there's the sinister element to it but you can just focus on writing a good story and not being as affected by that I think it's interesting I mean one of the one of the reasons among many that um you know I left journalism is because I didn't I wasn't you know for an example say there's a major I don't know say there's a major natural disaster okay and you hear that a thousand people have been killed Mm. you know there is a part of you that says oh that is so awful that is horrific and then your your journalist hat says oh but we've got a splash for tomorrow and we've got you know we need to find out how many British people were there we need to find out who they are we need to find out who's you know all of that detail and so you're immediately thinking we've got a good story we've got something for the newspaper and I didn't like that about myself I didn't like um, that I was becoming desensitized and numb to the news Um, And so what I actually try and do really carefully is to write a story that is gripping and interesting, but that to make sure there is empathy in there as well. And that is something I, you know, and, and, you know, because it's true, like I'd be really careful about writing about a story that I ever covered, for example. But, you know, if you sit in the sitting room with, you know, a mother whose child has been abducted, Mm you can't help but absorb and um the the sort of depth of that emotion and then that turns up somewhere else in your writing of course it does but I would never specifically use you know an actual thing that happened I feel quite uncomfortable about doing that um but certainly I would plunder the emotion or the things that I've been exposed to through covering you know big news stories you know I think there was um I can't remember if I referred to it in one of my books, but I always, it's really striking, you know, say that you go to like a rail disaster or something like that, that often, you know, it's really frightening is that if you're quiet and you can hear the mobile phones um, ringing in the kind of wreckage and it's really um, quite powerful and disturbing. It's kind of thinking about things like that, that kind of are really impactful, um, but, you know, are not so personal. And that's, you know, what I try and do in the writing, I suppose. Yes, that's phenomenal. Um, And in editing this book, did you find that the tension and all those feelings that you've just described, did you then ratchet up or ratchet down or was that sort of left unchanged by the editing process? Um, I think that I try and, I mean, ultimately, when you write a book, right, so what you want your readers to do is, I love it when anyone says to me, well, I tried to put it down, but I just wanted to read one more chapter. I just wanted to see what was going to happen next. Yes. right? And that is what, so I try and do that at the end of kind of most of my chapters, give, give a reader, you know, a reason to keep on turning those pages. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, tension is, you know, it's really personal, isn't it? Because, you know, one person's, you know, you, you say you find it, you know, you've, you found bits of it kind of quite 
creepy um and to me i could have made it much much creepier yeah. so i think you know it, we're all it's all such personal taste isn't it but i think you know like for me because of my imagination i suppose if i was sitting in bed upstairs and i heard a bang downstairs rather than thinking something like i don't know the dogs knocked something over i would think straight away someone's breaking into the house right so that's kind of the way that my mind works and so i think that's what i try and do with the writing as well is always kind of you know it's going not going for the mundane option but going for the kind of creepier option um but yeah i mean i don't i think definitely there's there will be times where you think you, you know you don't want the story to flag or to be kind of soggy but you know there you have to set the scene a little bit those kind of things and i think that is part that is the difficulty that is one of the tricks in being a, a good writer is maintaining tension or interest all the way through without it flagging um, and that comes with experience I I hope that every book I write I mean that's the aim isn't it that you just get better a bit more practiced at, mm. at doing it and you know and some books come easier than others it's not an exact science um, but yeah I mean that yeah I would always just love my readers to you know say that the tension is quite unbearable and they want to carry on reading I suppose so yeah Oh, but I mean, I find everything scary. I found the the BFG film too scary <laughs> for me, so don't pay any attention to what I say. Um, but I thought your book it it plugs a real gap in in the sort of the crime thriller genre, which is a, a busy space. And and in a way, I think it's been crying out for a book like this. Did you see a gap and deliberately plug it, or was this just what what you wanted to write? No, I think that, you know, right from the start, I like kind of, I like creepy things and I'm interested in kind of the dark side of human nature, I suppose. Um, and I think, I mean, and my writing naturally seems to fall into that category. So it's always about the shades of grey. Um, there's, you know, in in character, how, I don't know, you know, you can be, a killer but you still love someone mm. right you know or you can be the creepy old man kind of at the end of the street who is everybody's cliche but actually you know you're doing good things or you know you could and I, I that kind of that really interests me the way that we make impressions you know we form impressions of people and we kind of disregard them and you know or I try really hard to make my characters as three-dimensional as possible so that it's not just the cliche. And I and I think my my agent is really kind of great with that when she's looking at my when she's looking at really early drafts, right from the very start when I first signed with her, you know, written all through the manuscript was, you know, it was just one word and it's a really kind of, you know, it makes absolute sense really. And that is why. Why? why are they doing that you know what is it about that person that makes them behave in the way they do it is not enough to say that they're just evil it's not enough to just say that they're doing that because they're you know you have to always have a motivation for every single character for them to behave in the way that they're behaving why are they mm -hmm. doing that and and I think that has helped my writing immensely if you ask yourself those questions um but no I mean I wouldn't say it was a deliberate thing I'm writing what I enjoy um and you know long may it continue really hopefully <laughs> oh gosh yes absolutely because yes we want you to keep um uh, writing these glorious books can, can <laughs> i just ask you mentioned about signing with your agent 
was it was your publication story was it easy to get published the first I think mine compared to some as was relatively straightforward and I think you know some of that is down to the fact as we discussed earlier that I was a journalist Mm -hmm. and you know so I'm used to working with words I have enormous enormous respect for people that come from professions that are nothing to do with writing at all and they managed to pull a you know a book or, or several books out of the hat because you know I've been writing for a long time and so what that meant was that I was you know able to well, I, but, but that said, actually, I didn't know that I could do it. So it, my story was this, that I was working at the Daily Mirror. I was a showbiz correspondent um, and basically kind of two things happened. I went on maternity leave to have my second child. And um, firstly, my my brother's wife, to whom we're very close, was um, diagnosed with um, stage four lymphoma, which is a type oh. of blood cancer. Mm-hmm. It was advanced. It was aggressive. Um, and she had just had a tiny baby. And eight weeks after that, my son, uh, who was not yet two at that time, he was also diagnosed with a potentially life threatening condition and was very unwell and so was also in hospital and I'd just had a baby as well. So these kind of two major sort of life events happened and um, it, it pulled me up short actually and it made me stop and think what do I want from my life and I knew that I didn't really want to carry on being a showbiz journalist um, and I wanted to write for quite a while and so I thought you know, I mean, it was very, I was driven completely by emotion, but I, I, I quit my job um, and I decided that, you know, I would have a proper crack at, at writing a novel. And so I signed up for the Faber Academy's writing a novel yeah. course. Um, and I, but I had no real idea whether I could write a book because writing, I don't know them, you know, for a tabloid newspaper, the maximum kind of feature that you would write would be say 1200 words. Um, and, you know, writing a book is a whole different, you know ball game you're making it up for a start um, I mean I know people might make jokes about tabloid newspapers making things up but actually you know most of the stories were rooted in truth and you knew what you were writing it's non-fiction yeah. and you knew the beginning the middle and the end with a book it's completely different um, and so yeah I just started writing a book while I was on that course and I gave myself six months to take give myself permission I think to take writing seriously um, and that's what I did and then at the end kind of host of agents and editors come and hear you read and they get sent an anthology and I was lucky enough to have kind of a few approaches from that and then when um when the when it was ready I sent it back to those agents who'd expressed an interest and I was lucky enough to have interest from from a few agents but but my publication story you know wasn't so straightforward because you know I worked on it with my agent and we made it kind of you know the best we could make it Um, and then when it went out on submission um, it was sent to, I think, kind of five of the biggest publishers um, and all of them turned it down. So, um, but, you know, I was given a kind of a beacon of hope, as it were, because they liked my writing and my style. And so I was invited in to kind of speak to a couple of these publishers and discuss what it was um, that they felt I could work on. Um, and, and then I was invited to do what they call a revise and resubmit so I kind of took on board and, and, and that was quite confusing because different editors had different opinions. So, um, you know, some were like, it's too horror. You need to decide if it's horror or crime. Someone said you need to make it a psychological thriller. Someone said this character needs to live. Someone said this character needs to die. It was extremely confusing. Um, and I remember saying to my agent, I don't know what to do. And she said, um, she said, your instincts have got you this far. And so 
trust your instincts and do what you think is best for the book so that is exactly what I did um, and then so I reworked it for another um, kind of six months or so and then when it went out on submission again it was a subject of auctions both here and internationally and yeah the tv rights were sold you know all of that stuff so it goes to show like it's not it's never over like you can always yeah. there's always chances you know fresh chances and that's one of the things I love about writing is that, you know, if you have a book that doesn't say do as well as you want, or you can see it all the time with authors whose careers maybe don't peak until their eighth or ninth books, because every new mm. book is a fresh chance. Mm. I think as long as you can kind of keep remembering that, if, you're, if, if any of your listeners are interested in writing themselves, um, writing books themselves, so every book that you start is a fresh chance. And it's just about trying to keep the faith because you get better with each book that you write, ideally. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's just, you know, the right book at the right time, because, you know, publishing houses, if they've just bought a book that's really similar to yours the week before, it's mm. really, it's really bad luck for you. They're probably not going to buy yours. And that doesn't mean that it's bad or, you know, that the writing is not good enough. It's just timing. So much of it is down to serendipity. So, mm. you know, just keep on keeping on is my mantra. And yeah, that's what I do, I suppose. <laughs> that That's amazing. What sort of courage and determination in keeping going and it just shows it it worked because you know these books are just legends they're, they're oh thank you really, really, really good so um look, just look forward to to more and thank you so much for coming on today Fiona I really appreciate it oh well thank you for having me I've enjoyed it very much gosh that was brilliant thanks to Fiona for coming on really enjoyed that so that's The Neighbour by Fiona Cummins I think we better get on to the next book because we've got quite a few to cover. So the next one is called V2 by Robert Harris. Um, it's uh, just come out very recently. I believe most of it was written during lockdown. And uh, I'll, let me read you the blurb. Rudy Graff has dreamt since childhood of sending a rocket to the moon. Instead, along with his friend Werner von Braun, he has helped create the world's most sophisticated weapon, the V-2 ballistic missile, capable of delivering a one-tonne warhead that travels at three times the speed of sound. In a desperate gamble to avoid defeat, Hitler orders 10,000 to be built. Now, in the winter of 1944, Graf finds himself in a bleak seaside town in occupied Holland. Haunted and disillusioned, he's tasked with firing the V2s at London. Nobody understands the volatile, deadly machine better than he does. Kay Caton Walsh is an officer in the WAAF. She has experienced firsthand the horror of a V2 strike. As the rockets rain down, she joins a unit on a mission to newly liberated Belgium. Armed with little more than a slide rule and a few equations, Kay and her colleagues hope to locate and destroy the launch sites. But for every action on one side, there is an equal and opposite reaction on the other. As the death toll soars, the separate stories of Graf and Kay ricochet off one another until, in a final explosion of violence, their destinies are forced together. Um, now, I have a mixed experience with Robert Harris, I'm going to be honest. Some of his books I've really enjoyed and some of them I haven't so much. This one I enjoyed. Um, I felt it um, taught me a lot. It made me really think about different aspects of the war that perhaps I haven't considered or, or certainly haven't considered for a while. Um, I like the pace of it. I like the characters. I like the sort of the lessons you learn as you're reading. Um, I found it very intriguing, the fact of this sort of newly liberated Belgium and, and yet more more people there. What, what 
li being liberated actually meant for them or, or didn't. I thought that was very interesting. Um, I think if you're into modern technological uh, edge of your seat thrillers, then this isn't for you. But if you or somebody you know, yeah, guys, it's coming up to that. It's coming up to Christmas. It's that C word again. Um, if you're thinking of what books to buy, family, um, maybe parents or relatives. Um, why do I say parents or relatives? I do think actually on the whole, not all the time, but sometimes parents are already relatives. So let's just say friends, family, whatever. If uh, you think this is something um, that they would be interested in, I, I, I think it's it's a good one. And I know other people have really uh, enjoyed it. Um, we've had Nancy on our Facebook group um, for the podcast who said she'd read it and really enjoyed it. So. Um, Clearly, you know, it, it, it does hit the mark for a lot of people. Um, yeah, not one for you if you're into really modern day things. Of course not. The book can't be everything. But yeah, well, well worth it. And uh, brownie points for a Christmas gift, I'd say. Um, now we come on to this book, this glorious, glorious book. It's called Playing Nice by J.P. Delaney. I loved this book. Uh, I really, really did. It's out in hardback, as is V2, I should I should have said. Whereas Fiona Cummins' book, The Neighbour, is out in paperback. Uh, let's read you the blurb. Pete Riley answers the door one morning to a parent's worst nightmare. On his doorstep is Miles Lambert, who breaks the devastating news that Pete's two-year-old, Theo, isn't Pete's real son. Their babies got mixed up at birth. The two families, Pete... His partner Maddie and Miles and his wife Lucy agree that, rather than swap the boys back, they'll try to find a more flexible way to share their children's lives. But a plan to sue the hospital triggers an investigation that unearths disturbing questions about what just happened the day the babies were switched. And when Theo is thrown out of nursery for hitting other children, Maddie and Pete have to ask themselves, how far do they want this arrangement to go? What secrets lie hidden behind the Lambert smart front door? How much can they trust the real parents of their child or even each other? As, as I say, I really enjoyed this book. Um, I love the fact that I think his writing keeps improving with, ev with every book. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just love the fact that he gets a concept like like children switched at birth and then just runs with it. And um, and it's just a great story. It's one that you just want to sit and read. Um, it captivates you throughout. It's, it's a great book. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, top score for that one. Very, very good. Uh, they've got your child. You've got theirs. Playing Nice by J.P. Delaney. Excellent, I thought. Oh, my goodness, we're just ploughing through these books. Um, so the next book is 33 Women, and that's uh, written by Isabel Ashdown. So the blurb on this is as follows. 33 Women, One Big Secret. When sisters Celine and Pip get a call telling them their reclusive mother has died, the women are reunited. But someone is missing. Their middle sister, Vanessa, murdered years ago and the victim of an unsolved case. The discovery of another body in similar circumstances raises questions about Vanessa's death. 
What do the mysterious residents of Two Cross Farm, the women's commune, have to do with it? What secrets are lurking behind their locked gates? And what is the significance of number 33? Um, now, I haven't read any other books by Isabel Ashdown, so I came to this afresh. Um, I, she's certainly written three books, um, Little Sister, Beautiful Liars, Late Child. Um, so clearly she's an accomplished writer. It's a very interesting story. Um, it's not your sort of normal crime thriller. Um, you've got these different aspects in it. Um, and yes, I thought it was very commendable. A, a good read, I think. Um, and uh, certainly look for, for what she writes next. So that's 33 Women by Isabel Ashdown. Many join them, some never leave. Mm. Now, we all need a bit of a laugh sometimes. And uh, I, certain, I certainly do. And when I was listening to a podcast, see, it just sounds like I'm sitting there doing absolutely nothing all day apart from listening to podcasts. I, I only get to listen to so many because I'm either driving kids to school, which is sort of an hour journey minimum, um, or walking the dog or doing a run. You know, it's it's um, it's not working hours, working hours. I'm sat staring at my computer um, doing doing other things. So anyway. Well, I don't know why I've gone down this particular path. Philippa, back, back pedal along the path. Right. So I was listening to a podcast, which is the uh, Josh Widdicombe, um, Rob. I'm going to say Rob Bucket. It's not Rob Bucket. It's actually Rob Beckett. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, so Josh Widdicombe and Rob Beckett do this podcast, um, the Locked lockdown parenting guide something like that anyway shall shall I tell you exactly what it is I've mentioned it before it's absolutely hilarious lockdown parenting hell there we go um and they interviewed uh Ramesh and I just thought he sounded like uh he he, he operates my sort of parenting um and it sounded just really a really interesting book so I thought right let's read it and see what it's all about so this is a book called As Good As It Gets, and it's by Ramesh Ranganathan. And it's it's called as well Life Lessons from a Reluctant Adult. It's in hardback um, at the moment. It's about 250 pages long um, and it's broken down into really good sections. So you've got ones um, called Other People's Children, Getting Old. Um, there was a brilliant one on how on, um, getting your kids to eat particular types of food, all sorts of things. I'll, I'll read you the blurb. Confronted by the realities of adulthood, Ramesh Raganathan must face an uncomfortable truth. This is not quite how he imagined it. Watching his friends descend into middle age, his waist thicken with every meal and his finances dwindle to fund his family's middle class aspirations, Ramesh reflects on the demands of daily life and the challenges of adulting in the modern world. As he reluctantly concludes that he is indeed a grown man, Ron wrestles with the greater questions that threaten his being. Could I save my family in a crisis? Do I possess the skills to assemble flat pack furniture? Am I too old for streetwear? Is it all right to parent my kids through the medium of Fortnite? Is celibacy the secret to a passionate marriage? From one of the country's most beloved comedians and author of the Sunday Times bestseller Straight Outta Crawley comes this hilarious and painfully accurate di dissection of what it really means to grow up. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was funnier than I was expecting. Not that I had very low 
um, assumptions as to what it would be. It's not, you know, you're not going to have to dial 999 and get them to come and put your ribs back together. Um, but show me a book that is that funny. I enjoyed it. It made me feel like I'm not doing quite as bad a job at parenting as I, as I sometimes think. It made me feel like I'm not on my own. It made me smile a lot. Um, and it's one that I'll keep and just dip into, I think. Um, and if you know someone who's maybe um, got kids um, and is just finding it all a bit sort of, you know, what what am I doing? What's going on? I think this book could offer a bit of uh, light relief to it all. So, yeah, as good as it gets. Um, really enjoyed that one. And then the last book is by an author. I know I've mentioned quite a lot, but I was having a bad day and I needed to immerse myself uh, both in a series and in a series that I knew well. So this is a this is a reread, um, but I don't I haven't actually talked to you about this book specifically before. So A Symphony of Echoes by Jodie Taylor. You may remember I interviewed Jodie um, some weeks ago. My goodness, the response to that episode was phenomenal. That lady had some fans. Wow. 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 Amazing response. That's that's good. So this is the St. Mary's series. Um, I've talked to you before about one damn thing after another, which is first in the series. And this is the second one. Um, so wherever the historians go, chaos is sure to follow. When the St. Mary's Institute of Historical Research team visit Victorian London in search of Jack the Ripper, it's not long before he finds them. And he's even more of a threat than anticipated. But it's not just the past they should be worried about. When they discover there's a version of history in which Mary, Queen of Scots, doesn't lose her head, St Mary's itself comes into danger. Max and the team must confront an enemy intent on destroying St Mary's, an enemy willing, if necessary, to destroy history itself. From the fog-shrouded streets of 19th century London to the hanging gardens of Nineveh, join the St Mary's historians on their hair-raising, hilarious escapades. Uh, I loved it. It's a very busy, crowded book, I would say. There is an awful lot packed in it. It's almost as if Jodie was told, right, you can you can write this book, but but then there won't be any more after that. So she put so much in. And then when she finished that, they said, oh, actually, we're going to let you do another 10, 12, 14, 15 books. Um, so putting that aside, it's great. Immediately, you you know, you read it and you're on an adventure with Maxwell um, and uh, you just feel I felt comfortable because I knew the characters. I couldn't actually remember that much about this book. Um, so it shows that I think I will get some benefit from rereading the whole series. And yes, you'll be coming on the journey with me. Um, but I loved it. I love the uh, thoughts it gave me about history and what I've sort of missed out on, I think, not doing history at school that much. Um, and I just I like the characters. I like the chaos. I like the calamities. And I've used the word bonkers to describe it before. And I think that applies. People say, well, if you're a sort of a, a Ben Aronovich fan or a Jasper Ford or a Terry Pratchett fan, you'll, you'll like those books. They are that they are different. But but why not? Uh, it's great. And um, yes, certainly if you look at the Facebook groups for St. Mary's, there are that there is a lot of passion about these books. Um, they absolutely love them. So, yes, I really enjoyed that. And it was it was the warm hug from a book that I needed 
despite terrible things happening in the book, it was still a warm, comforting hug. And uh, isn't that what we need sometimes? So there we go. I've waffled on and on. I've covered a lot of books. Shall I just go through them one more time? So we've had The Neighbour by Fiona Cummins, V2 by Robert Harris, Playing Nice, J.P. Delany, 33 Women, Isabel Ashdown, As Good As It Gets, Ramesh Ranganathan, and A Symphony of Echoes by Jodie Taylor. Now, you may expect me to say this, but next week I've got some crackers to talk to you about because it's Christmas crackers. <laughs> there you go. Such wit, dear, oh dear. Um, anyway, hopefully I won't have swallowed too much tinsel and I'll be back next week to talk Christmas. And I can't wait. And I really look forward to catching up with you then. So look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 